Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by award-winning journalist and author. He's been a political columnist, investigative reporter, and foreign correspondent. In his latest book, Won't Lose This Dream, he looks at Georgia State University and their unique model of operation. We welcome Andrew Gumbel. Good morning. Good morning. Let's go beyond the mic. You've written about Amanda Knox, dirty elections, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Why was this story so important for you to cover? Well, when I first looked into what was going on in downtown Atlanta at Georgia State University, I knew that this was a place that had done remarkable things for its large population of lower-income students. It had erased all achievement gaps. It had vastly improved the graduation rate. It was like an intellectual curiosity. And then I went there, and I met some of the students, and in particular met some of the advisors who'd been instrumental in transforming the prospects of the student body. And, you know, heard some of the individual stories, people who'd come from remarkably tough backgrounds, had weathered incredible adversity, and through sheer determination of strength and spirit, had managed to figure out how to turn things around, get themselves a degree, transform their lives and their families' lives. You know, people who were struggling with homelessness, people who were, had to deal with cars that were totaled, family members who got sick, you know, you name it. And, you know, there were moments where... I would hear these stories, the person telling the story would be in tears, I'd be in tears, and I just thought, you know, for people to understand what it takes for people of this uncommon determination to get their degrees and to have the support of an institution that understands how to maximize the chances of them getting there is really an important story, both in terms of just humanly, it's mind-blowing, but also, you know, it really points the way to a future where some of these gulfs between the rich and poor in our society the racial inequities, all the other things that are now being talked about in the news. You know, here is an institution that quietly, without the partisan politics, without the noise, is getting on with the business of resolving the problem. And that, to me, is a really important thing to be investing my time in. And I think that people will really respond to it when they see what has been going on there. Did it surprise you when you discovered a school that wanted to actually, I don't know, educate students and help them succeed rather than to just pull in money? Right. Well, this is you know one of the shocking revelations to me, and I think for a lot of people who are not in higher education, is this you know lazy assumption in many institutions that certain categories of student, which is to say poor students, minority students, students whose parents didn't happen to go to college, are just doomed to fail in high numbers. And it's not true. What those students need is support so that they can fulfill the potential that those universities have already seen in them. Otherwise, they wouldn't admit them in the first place. And what that takes is an approach that says we're not going to have faculty design the courses to suit their schedules and suddenly you find that physics, chemistry, and biology are all scheduled for 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning. We're going to actually space it out. We're going to make sure there's enough space in intro classes that students who need to take it in a certain semester can. It's about making sure that university advisors are on top of the students from the beginning, making sure they're designing courses in a way that makes sense, if they start slipping in a key course that they redirect them to a different major quickly rather than waiting a year or two by which time they're already running out of money. It's about paying attention to if they run into financial difficulties and suddenly they can't make their tuition payment on time, that there's a, there's a grant available to tide them over so they don't drop out, so they keep going, and the university then recoups the money from their continuing tuition fees that they would otherwise have lost. It's about a different mentality that says, you know, we care about our students, we're going to pay attention to our students, 
And by the way, we're going to turn the traditional leadership of universities upside down to make sure that we do that. And, you know, there was some really visionary leadership at Georgia State, driven a little bit by necessity after the 2008 recession and driven partly by a moral mission that said, you know, it's no longer acceptable to admit students, watch them load up with debt and send them away without a degree. And, you know, this is something that we can no longer tolerate in our institution. And by having that mentality, Georgia State has now become a leader for a different kind of approach. And it's become a place where people are super excited to work. You know, professors, administrators, they're all applying for jobs there because they want to be part of this exciting, groundbreaking new model for education. And because of that, grades have soared. Graduation had to be moved because more students are succeeding. Well, just just to address that point, I mean, they, they their graduations are now so huge with several thousand students, they have to break them up into several mini graduations. You know, obviously with COVID, there was no graduation ceremony this spring. They've had to, you know, find the biggest spaces available in Atlanta to have these enormous ceremonies. And now finally, they're building their own convocation center, which will be finally big enough to accommodate them all. But, you know, you can't overstate the transformation not only of the university, but of downtown Atlanta itself, you know, which like many downtowns, it got hollowed out in the 80s and 90s. The law firms, the banks, the businesses, the stores, they all left downtown, which turned out to be a tremendous boon for Georgia State. They managed to get a lot of terrific buildings for very little money. But because they now have this huge campus, which is thriving, downtown has revived itself. So the city of Atlanta is seeing its own fabric being changed by this revolutionary approach to higher education. In your time as a reporter, you've covered the fall of the Berlin Wall, the region after the first Gulf War, conflicts in Serbia and Bosnia. How did those events shape the way you cover stories like Georgia State? Well, I think, you know, the reason the publisher was interested in me writing this story is precisely because I'm not an education writer, that I would look at this as a story rather than a bunch of, you know, charts and data points and acronyms. I don't know if your listeners have ever read anything by education writers, but it tends to be very jargony. So, you know, I, I talked to the students. My heart was moved by a lot of their stories. I was really inspired by the, the visionary leaders. And then, but I was also really fascinated by the mechanics of how you bring about something like this. You know, there was a lot of fighting. There were a lot of people with big egos and big brains who were saying, this is crazy. You can't do this. And watching the mechanics of how the university maneuvered not only internally, but maneuvered with the state university system, with the state legislature, and we're talking about Georgia, so it's a very conservative state legislature that's naturally suspicious of academia, you know, right from the get-go. How you wage those battles, how you manage to prove that what you're doing works, how you show the conservatives that it's good for business in the Atlanta region, how you show the liberals that it's great for civil rights and social advances, and how you bring those constituencies together, even though normally they never want to talk to each other. It's a fascinating political story. It's a fascinating human story. My past experiences have always been about, you know, let's figure out how human beings interact to make things happen, whether those are things for the good or things for the bad. You know, that's what that's what gets me up in the morning. You said earlier this year, quote, writers and artists are not politicians. They don't answer to the public except insofar as they seek to engage with the world and illuminate something we might not otherwise see for ourselves. Not all those efforts succeed. And of course, it's fine to talk about that. But if we demonize the failures or perceive failures to the point where we question whether authors should be writing at all, then we demonize the enterprise itself and we all lose. As an author, what do you feel your obligations are to your readers and how did that 
quote, affect the way you covered Georgia State? Well, the the thing you just read out was in relation to uh, the novel American Dirt, and the author of the novel, whose name I have to confess I've temporarily forgotten, uh, got a lot of stick because she presumed to write about the experience of um, Mexicans and Central Americans crossing the border into the United States when she was herself, you know, marginally Latino, if Latino at all. That relates to my position in this project, you know, in one respect. I am not from the South. I'm not in higher education. I'm not African-American. But I'm writing about people who fall into one or more of those categories. You know, I felt my job with this project was to listen to people's stories and let those stories speak for themselves. You know, whether I succeeded in that or not, I don't know. But I think it's important, you know, in a time where people talk about who has the right to tell what story. My answer to that is, you know, the university is made up of all these different people, the university president, all the way down to the individual students, they all have stories to tell. And if I, as an author, can listen to those stories and put them together in a compelling narrative, then I've done my job. And, you know, I think that Georgia State as an institution has an analogous approach, which is they don't see their students as black students or poor students or Latino students or gay students or whatever. They see each student as an individual with certain needs, with certain crises in their lives, and they will meet those needs and address those crises and solve those problems. And if you do that, then you find that the you know the racial or the, the the class piece of it will take care of itself. And Georgia State has erased all achievement gaps. You know, everybody succeeds at the same rate. In fact, you know, African American and Latino students and first generation students actually perform at slightly above the university average. There's an important lesson there at a time when everyone is obsessed with, you know, what does my group get? Who represents my group? This is a different approach to saying, no, we're going to treat everybody as individuals. We're going to take your problems seriously and we're going to solve them. And I think that's a very inspiring approach. The book is Won't Lose This Dream, the author Andrew Gumbel. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You're very welcome. And that, my friends, is a Beyond the Mic shortcut.